From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Rhode Island is sitting on $1.1 billion in federal money from the American Rescue Plan Act. There is already a statehouse tug of war on how to spend it. Last month, a panel of experts convened by the Rhode Island Foundation released their recommendations for spending the money, topped by more than $400 million in affordable housing. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside my colleague, 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nacy. Joining us in studio to talk about that and much more is Rhode Island Foundation President and CEO Neil Steinberg. Neil, good to see you again. Nice to see you. Welcome Thank to you. the program. And before we get going, we should note that Rhode Island Foundation is one of the uh, one of <coughs> Newsmakers underwriters. Um, I want to before we get into the different recommendations mm -hmm. from the report. Explain the process. Sure. You know, we're, we're talking about $1.1 $1 billion. You get a bunch of people around the table. How did you convene that? Yeah, so it was about six months ago when we heard the money was coming in. And remember, the $1.1 billion is unallocated. It's not the buckets for education or the cities and towns. And we thought that we could get some community input, that we could do some analysis, and that we could be helpful. So I went to the governor, the speaker, Senate president, said, here's what we're uh, interested in doing. They said, fine. We put together a group of 15 people from across the state, knowledgeable people, not special interests, but very smart analytical folks. Uh, we also contracted to work with RIPEC, Rhode Island Public Expenditures Council, which is on the business side, and then the Economic Progress Institute, which is on the more the social service side. Uh, we decided we'd do focus groups and community meetings as well. And so over this six-month period of meeting with the group, a lot of analysis, a lot of input. We said, we're gonna come out, and we started out saying three to five big ideas. We did not take the approach of spreading peanut butter, everybody gets a little. We really, really uh, bought into the fact that these are long-term investments for the state. It is once in a generation money, we're gonna be paying for it. It's the people's money, it's not belonging to anybody. And that we really want to make investments. And, and that's very important because we do, and our leaders do, expense budgets every year. There's a big difference between an expense and an investment. This, you have three years to allocate, two more years after that to spend it. And we want it to be transformative, equitable. It is money that is supposed to help those who most got hit the hardest in the COVID pandemic. So uh, before we get to what you did recommend, yeah. I just want you to speak briefly to the, the biggest one people have mentioned is education. The foundation has right. been about education for years right. and they didn't say spend half of this on education. Right. I, you've said other people have mentioned tax cuts or uh, some other types of spending. Can you talk about some of the things that didn't go in here and why? Yeah, sure. So the easiest ones are the, the ones that were precluded when the money came from the Fed. So you can't use it to reduce taxes. Everybody says reduce taxes. You can't use it to plug pension holes. So that not permitted. Then uh, the additional buckets that came in. So 500 plus million dollars directly to cities and towns, not included in this. Education, our top priority. It pained me not to have education yeah. here. 400 plus million dollars going to the Department of Education and then out to the And the again, districts. just to keep people on board, that's all above, above and beyond, beyond the, the 1.1 billion. And in addition to that, when you look at things like broadband and other things, we've got an infrastructure bill that possibly is right around the corner. So we tried to hone in on things that were needed within the parameters and that weren't covered in other areas. And I would just encourage viewers, having done some reporting on this myself, like ask your cities and towns and school Ooh. districts how they're spending. They're getting a lot of money too that yeah. isn't going through the state other than right. a pass-through and, and people need to keep an eye on that money too, separate from what you're talking about here. Big eye. <laughs> so top issue, as we said at the mm -hmm. beginning of the program, is housing. Yeah. 
Yeah. How, how did you identify that one as the number one issue? And, yeah. and how did you come to $400 million? Yeah, so it's actually 405, so it was, there's a little science in that, not just a broad brush. Um, so as I said, we got a lot of input. We, we had right back in economic progress doing a lot of analysis on needs. We heard from the community, no secret at all that there's a housing crisis. And I think one of the points on housing and on the other recommendations, these all pre-existed. So we had a housing crisis well before COVID, behavioral health, uh, workforce development, everything got worse during COVID and exacerbated. So knowing this is investment money, knowing that housing is an investment in infrastructure of where people are gonna live, how they're gonna live, it wasn't hard. And then it got built up by the folks doing the analysis on different programs. And we had prioritized, so we knew we were gonna give more to housing than the others. But that 400 million came from those specific programs. And how would you, if the people watching this at home and they wanna know how $405 million would be used to improve the housing situation in Rhode Island? Yeah. What would you tell them in the eleva elevator ride up? Yeah, so one of the things you'll see if anybody looks at the report, and I would encourage it, there's a 10 page executive well, You know what, summary. I'll tell you what, we'll link to it in okay. the newsmakers uh, Great. page. Uh, the first thing is we set goals. So for the housing, it's over 5,000 new units of housing. And you have three areas of housing that this addresses. One is homelessness. We have 355 people or something like that right now homeless, and the governor just gave some money to help with that. Um, we have home ownership, people who have been locked out. When you look at the communities of color, one of the reasons wealth has not been built up is because they have not had access to home ownership. And then you have rental, people who just cannot find a place that they can afford to, uh, to live in these days. And especially hard hit in low and moderate income areas, uh, but actually throughout. So those are the three areas that addresses. Some of it is building homes, some of it is, is uh, uh, apartment, complex is being built. We need to go to scale though. So one of the challenges, and I hope we'll talk about implementation a little is, we're not experienced nor experts in this state at going to scale. So you will see some very good efforts for 22 units here and 38 units here. We need thousands of units to make a dent. And the other thing I'd say about the housing is that makes a dent. The billion one could not solve the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. So, so and yeah. let's and I do want to talk about implementation you know, and just to have this in the viewer's mind. So it's 405 million for housing, mm -hmm. 255 million for behavioral health care, 205 million for workforce development, 100 million for small business assistance, 50 million dollars for a neighborhood trust, which is an right. interesting concept, and then another 50 million for immediate needs. Right. But you know, we can't cover every detail of that in, in this segment. Right. But one thing that struck me as I read your report in every section, and you just alluded to it, is frankly, it was almost a palpable fear in the steering committee that this money could be wasted because there is not a capacity in state government, local government, and right. the nonprofit sector to effectively use this level of funds coming in fairly quickly. Right, so in addition to making that point, when you go through it, you'll see we allocated funds for that. We allocated funds, uh, or recommended funds, to be for capacity building, uh, for training, uh, for scaling, to be able to do this because- But you know this many viewers who hear that, Neil, and say, that's bureaucracy. Right. We have a lot of, we have enough state bureaucracy already. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's necessarily in the state. So this is in the nonprofit sector, it's in the private sector. Wherever it is to do it, we don't have the capacity to do that. So whether it's redundant or not, that's up to all of us to make sure it's not. But the truth is, this is a lot more money than we've ever had access to, will have access to, have ever spent. We need to make sure that people are there 
And, and the other thing about the accountability is, the accountability is not just counting the beans, right? It's not just did the money go where it's supposed to. We have a problem expediting it to get out the door. Look at some of the programs from the last year or so that they were announced, and then you look, and they had trouble getting it to people. They had the people who needed the most had trouble. We need expediters. Rent need relief people, has been that's been a big rent issue. Rent relief and some of the small business programs. We need people that can push to get it out the door. And you know, I've used the expression many times. There, there's two risks that we want to prevent. One is sitting here in five years saying what happened to. To that billion dollars. But the other one is sitting here in two years saying, how come more of the money hasn't been utilized? So we identified the need, we stand behind it, behavioral health, record suicides, opioid abuse, um, uh, mental health and, and depression, rampant, rampant in kids. You know, we've got money in there for child psychologists and psychiatrists to build it up, build up the uh, uh, mental health centers in the state, things like that. Workforce development, look at this very odd situation that nobody can explain where we've got jobs that can't be filled and people looking for jobs and how are we training people for the next generation of jobs? We, uh, Governor Dan McKee has expressed a, uh, some frustration about the pace in which the money is mm -hmm. being spent. He has talked a lot mm -hmm. about small business, uh, spending money in small businesses. You, you said you talked to the governor and legislative leaders prior mm -hmm. to uh, the steering committee, have you talked to them since your recommendations oh, yeah. had come out? So the only uh, thing we talked to them about in honesty beforehand is telling them we were doing it. And is that okay? And they said yes. There was no input. And then yes, we the, the first thing we did before we went public is we briefed Senate President and the Speaker, and we briefed the delegation, and we briefed the governor all individually. You can tell this is not focused on the short term. This is focused on the long-term investment. In all good conscience, though, we could not say every single penny. So we put $50 million to go to nonprofit organizations doing that boots on the ground uh, work. Uh, whether that's- the In the end, short term, in the in short the term, immediate Whether work. it's the end of this month or it's in January, I'm not as familiar Nitty -gritty with the, on that, yeah. The, yeah. Whatever the but process is But you agree with the need for a short term, there's a need out there it, that a short term burst of money for immediate needs is looks to you like a valuable thing to do. It, it, it does, but there's been very little other conversation on what to do with the long term and the rest of it. And I think they're part and parcel. So if you're gonna put a lot of money into housing to build uh, housing stock over the next three to five years, then how do you jumpstart it in the beginning? Um, same thing with the other areas. Did you but, get a sense from the governor's office on uh, their reaction to the recommendations from the steering committee? Yeah, so we got a positive response from all of them, some a little stronger than others, but it was generally positive that. The governor said that it fit pretty well with his 2030 plan. Mm -hmm. um, the Speaker and the Senate President very much focused on how do we best use this and how do we implement it the right way and how do we plan. So planning and implementation are, are key to how you get this money out the door. You know, sticking with the concept of the immediate needs, the $50 million mm -hmm. that you guys right. proposed here, and that was that you mentioned things like for the food banks and food right. and security sure. programs addressing domestic violence. Uh, the, the Renown Foundation, because you're the, the, the big one of the nonprofit sector, and in some way you sometimes are giving money out that goes to, right. the, to the ones on the ground, you also often hear bubbling up from people right. what they're expecting in the community right. service organizations. Are you, you know, there's so much federal money sloshing about. Do you think that there's enough resources to deal with the short-term crises yeah. that as we get into this hopefully more post-COVID era that are facing? Because the fall, winter is often a tough time right. where those organizations face a lot of need. Or are you concerned about that? No, very concerned. So two things. One is that everybody in the state, 
could get vaccinated fully this afternoon and the tail is long. So right after that, homelessness doesn't go away, food insecurity doesn't go away, the housing needs, the behavioral health, those are a couple of years that it's gonna take us to turn around. So the need's gonna be there is, is the first thing. Um, and, the, and the other thing is, yeah, we, we see it. And you need to address what those needs are, but it's the age old balance of teach a fish or provide fish, you gotta do both. So we're long-term systemic funders. That's what we'd love to do, change and improve the systems. But you can't ignore what's going on right outside your door. And outside the door for a lot of people is tough. I'm a firm believer that we are in the middle of and have been the so-called K recovery. So you've got people going up like this. Those are people who with white collar jobs, not commuting anymore, saving money because they're not going out to dinner, putting money in their 401ks, and they're actually the savings rate is going up. The bottom part of the K though, the people working minimum wage jobs, the frontline responders, a lot of people who are getting whacked, if nothing else, by inflation right now, whole other topic, but there is real inflation. I do not agree with the term transitory inflation. It's here and you go to the gas pumps and you go to the grocery store and you're making a modest income, you're really hurt by that. Good time to remind viewers, you used to be a bank president. You sound like one at the moment. I was, and, and you know, I've challenged decision makers to go fill up their own gas tank and go do their own grocery shopping to see what it's like in the real world. And, um, but I think all of that comes together with this. You know, you talked about the winter. You're absolutely correct. You know, I'm still very conservative. I get nervous about COVID in the winter. You know, we haven't all gone back in, inside yet. Hopefully everything's better. Uh, I don't know if knocking on glass works. Um, but so, yeah, so there's a short-term need. There's no doubt about it, but there's always a short-term need. So let's see what we can do to help the most people. But the rest of the money, invest, invest, invest. All right, Neil Steinberg, President and CEO of the Rhode Island Foundation. As I said, we'll put a link to your full report on the uh, newsmakers page of WPRI.com. When we come back, the state of affairs at Veterans Affairs and the VA Medical Center. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi, our guests for the second half. E.J. McQuaid, he's the Executive Director of the Veterans Benefits Administration, Providence Regional Office. And directly to my left is Larry Connell. He's Director of the VA Providence Healthcare System. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming in. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. EJ, start with you. There is a backlog of claims, disability claims, with uh, within Veterans Affairs. How big an issue is it and what's being done? Uh, what's being done, Tim, is uh, v VBA, the Benefits Administration, is currently in a hiring initiative to hire more than 20,000 employees um, to bring down that, 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 that backlog. Uh, that, that backlog has been exacerbated by um, COVID and the inability to conduct um, disability uh, uh, exams to, uh, uh, to process those claims. Uh, but it is being addressed. There is a hiring initiative underway. Um, there has also been uh, contract examiners brought in to help perform those exams. But really, the backlog is a result of the um, exacerbation by, by COVID. EJ, if someone is at home is watching this and they have or are going to file a claim with VBA, what is the average wait 
on, and maybe it's hard to answer, but for someone at home wondering how long it's going to take to get a response, yes or no? Uh, for an original claim, it is not going to take very long. We're talking less than 90 days. Okay. Um, for any sort of claim where there may be an appeal involved or there's already a service connection established, sometimes those can take longer, but really the, 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 the compensation and pension or the CMP exam is the key linchpin to uh, completing that claim for disability compensation. I guess, uh, Larry, I sort of have a similar question to you when it comes to staffing. You know, we, Channel 12 has done a lot of stories on uh, staffing issues at Rhode Island Hospital, at Kent Hospital, at Newport Hospital, and, and how that has led to emergency rooms that are overflowing and sure. long wait times, so on and so forth. Is it the same situation at the VA Medical Center in Providence? It's uh, similar. We're, we're not in a crisis by any means. Uh, we're certainly always looking to hire staff. Uh, COVID has been a big problem mm. over the last 18 months. And one of the reasons you're seeing a big surge in emergency rooms and inpatients is because there's been a lot of delayed care. During COVID, they kind of throttled back all the care. Now the veterans and, and patients in Rhode Island in general are, are going to those hospitals now trying to get the care they delayed previously. Uh, we're always hiring as well. Uh, certainly it's, uh, it's a little bit challenging uh, when you have hospitals competing with each other sure. in terms of who's offering the greater salary. Uh, so sometimes we have a tough time keeping up with uh, with salary. But the, the federal government's a great place to work. And, and I can tell you this, uh, the nurses who come from all over uh, different healthcare systems throughout Rhode Island love when they come to the VA. I talk to them all the time. Uh, nurses in particular love their work at the VA because they're taking care of veterans. It's kind of a meaningful job. Let me stick with you, Larry, because I'm sure there are viewers who they know of the VA Medical Center, they might call it the VA Hospital, but they don't know, does every veteran go get all their care at the VA Hospital, or who, who do you serve? Can you just give us a very quick thumbnail sketch of what your specific mission is within the healthcare system? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so overall, so it's not just Providence. I mean, the, the VA in Providence, the healthcare system covers Rhode Island and Southeast Massachusetts. So we've got veterans from Massachusetts as well. I've got about 37,000 veterans, that's Rhode Island and Southeast Mass, that are enrolled for care uh, in the Providence healthcare system. The Providence healthcare system consists of the main campus in Providence where the hospital is, but I've also got a CBOC or a clinic, if you will, one in Hyannis, Cape Cod, one down in New Bedford, and uh, one down in Aquinnick Island near the Naval War College in Newport. Uh, so there's about 10,000 veterans that are enrolled to those CBOCs. The rest of them are enrolled to the main hospital. Uh, it's not every veteran, and that's what I'm trying to get my arms around. Uh, I want to let veterans know about the great care they can get in the VA system, and, and it's not Larry Connell saying that. There's been two studies in the last three years, uh, one by uh, the RAND Corporation that said, Access to health care in the VA is as good, if not better, than what you can get on the outside. And there was a Dartmouth study that was done about three years ago that also said quality of care you get in the VA is as good, if not better, than you can get in the private sector. So we offer great health care. If you're a veteran out there, I encourage you to come to the Providence VA and get enrolled and let us show you what we got. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And EJ, um, you know, the veterans, I was looking up the history today, the Veterans Administration founded in 1930, so probably with the pressure after World War I veterans. And I've read before about how each generation of veterans changes the mission inside the VA after World War II, after Vietnam. I'm curious what's changed um, as you see more veterans from the post 9-11 generation um, come into the VA system. I'm sure it's true in both the medical and the benefit side, but what comes to mind for you and from this generation? Sure, Ted, I would say presumptive 
conditions, specifically those related to Gulf War uh, exposures, toxic exposures. Gulf um, War one and two. Go, or? Yes, yes, and uh, both, both, and uh, and 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 specifically, in addition to toxic exposures, um, conditions related to traumatic brain injury. Um, TBI, as they're known, uh, also any sort of military sexual trauma, mm -hmm. I think, are really sort of the the hallmarks of this uh, of, of of the services and benefits that we're delivering to uh, any sort of OEF OIF. Uh, 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 That's Operation Enduring veterans. Freedom and Operation yes. Iraqi Freedom. Yes, yes, thank you, Ted. Yeah, and and it's a, just the same question to you uh, on the medical side. You know, what are you seeing as this generation becomes a larger, I presume, percentage of your of your patient census? Sure, I would say mental health is probably the, the primary driver in this generation. But to EJ's point, there's other some 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 exposures, whether that's burn pit exposures. Uh, but I think for the medical side, I would say mental health is probably a biggest driver, and 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 that's just. That's countrywide. I mean, there's, mm. we need a lot of mental health services around the country. And on the, we, one of our colleagues was asking us as we were preparing for this, and I'm curious, on the other end of the age spectrum with World War II veterans who we know there aren't as so many left now, but there are still quite a few getting in their late 90s into their hundreds. Um, are you still providing a significant amount of care to, to those folks? Or? We, we sure are. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, we lose about 320 World War II veterans every single day mm. in this country. Mm. Uh, so they do make up a... a they do make a portion of our of our patients, uh, but unfortunately, that that population diminishes every well, single day. Well, and I imagine day. it was even harder hit over the uh, over the COVID pandemic with Sh that age group. Sure, sure, because yeah. they they have all the comorbidities; uh, they're much more at risk. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, so, to answer your question, yeah, we we still service uh, World War II vets, and and quite frankly, when I see a World War II vet wearing one of his ball caps, I, I personally thank him for his service because there's not many of those guys. Oh, I, I, I everyone saw, should. Uh, man, there's a man at the he's 99. It was in the Victory Day celebrations here in Pawtucket who could have passed for maybe 80. Sure. Uh, so that you know, they're not all you know in a wheelchair. Even sure, though they served exactly in right. the 1940s. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, both of you served uh, our country. Uh, EJ in the Marines, uh, Larry in the Army. Thank you both uh, for your service, uh, especially ahead of Veterans Day on Thursday. I, I got to ask you both. Um, I guess I'll start with you. EJ, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was, was messy, to put it lightly, and I just wonder what your reaction was when you saw all that happen. Very, very challenging. Uh, brought out a lot of emotions, um, not only for me, but, you know, for my workforce, who was overwhelmingly veteran, as well as, you know, veterans of all generations. I think it was very reminiscent of, you know, some of the experiences of the Vietnam era veterans. Mm. Um, and I think uh, one of the, the good news stories there is that there's a lot of services, organizations, specifically veteran service organizations, that really answer the call to provide, whether those were mental health um, you know, type uh, 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 services, um, roundtable type discussions, just different venues for people to uh, express their emotions and feelings surrounding the withdrawal from from uh, Afghanistan. Larry, and yeah. did, did you did the medical center see maybe an increase from people who might have that might have triggered we, uh, some issues? We did, and we did were prepared for that. Uh, our chief of mental health was ready for that. Uh, in fact, we did an interview with uh, one of the veterans who was affected by that. Uh, so. The VA was ready for that because we anticipated that was going to happen. So we rolled out additional mental health services. But I mean, personally, I can tell you that uh, yeah, I was somewhat bittersweet myself. Mm. Uh, I spent 30 years active duty in the Army. Uh, so it was, it was a little bit surreal seeing us finally get out of Afghanistan. Uh, so yeah, there's some emotions, uh, uh, not just me, but uh, particularly our Afghanistan veterans uh, when we pulled out of there. You know, um, E.J. Larry made his pitch direct to camera. You, you, you might have a television career ahead of you uh, to the <laughs> veterans about seeking care in the medical system. On the benefits side, too, you know, are there because you'll, you'll see there there are a lot, there appear to be a good network of services for veterans uh, in the VA, and yet. 
you'll read stories about veterans who fall through the cracks, aren't signed up for mm -hmm. anything. I guess, A, you know, how does that happen? What are the, what are the biggest reasons that cause that gaps? And what would be your message if there's someone out there watching and saying, oh, I have a veteran in my family who maybe could be helped, what should they be doing? Sure, sure. Well, first, you know, apply for benefits. Uh, we have a presence uh, for, for all benefits questions at 380 Westminster, as well as at the Providence VA Medical Center. Uh, for any uh, non-in-person, we offer virtual counseling and public contact type operations to answer those questions. But I will tell you, Ted, I think the biggest challenge is that uh, many veterans go on to still serve you know specifically here in Rhode Island in the guard mm -hmm. um, uh, and and oftentimes um, are delaying those benefits till after they've completed that service but if you uh, feel that you may be entitled or if you have a friend or a neighbor or a family member uh, please encourage them to apply for benefits specifically disability compensation is the primary benefit that most folks are interested in but there is also home loan there's also education benefits insurance benefits and pension benefits as well so um, uh, much like Larry said, please come see us. Uh, don't be shy. We have uh, um, a very, uh, you know, a, a veteran-centric workforce, overwhelmingly veteran workforce, and uh, they are standing by to serve and answer questions and provide that link and that nexus to benefits. Larry and EJ, we have one minute left here in the program. Uh, we spent the first half talking to Neil Steinberg about ARPA money. Uh, your offices also seeing any of that federal relief funding? Is that any of that coming your yeah, way? That's a different pot of money, at least for the VHA. Is great. it? We're, we're, we have advanced appropriation. I mean, you so already are the feds, I suppose. Right. <laughs> so we, we won't see any of that money coming our way. Now, we might see additional COVID funding, but we won't see any ARPA money coming. All right. On the benefit side, very much in hiring. We are in the midst of uh, one of the largest hiring initiatives that we've done to not only address the backlog, but also uh, uh, presumptive conditions related to toxic exposures. So uh, that's where we're seeing some of that relief coming. You know, and it, unemployment benefits have run out. If people are looking to for a job and they're hearing you say, we're hiring, what do they do? We have 30 seconds here. Uh, USA Jobs is the best is the best place to visit. Um, and again, you can come see us, uh, you know, at the 380 Westminster location, uh, and we will help you know provide that connection uh, and the access to those uh, websites. All right, EJ McQuaid, Veteran uh, Veterans Benefit Administration, Providence Regional Office, Larry Connell. Can I put in one plug? Five seconds. You got it. On the 10th of uh, November, we're going to have a veteran celebration at the medical center. We're going to have a uh, Providence Police uh, mounted unit there, as well as some World War II vehicles. See you next come week on, on Newsmakers. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>